we went to Spain this year and uh, you know Spain you do not have to worry about getting cold or wet there is no rain when you're on the beach there you just you just cracking the flags every day it's really sunny and of course really hot the only time we got wet was on the last day when we went to the airport and as we uh, queued up there in the uh, in the airport the rain came bucketing down and it reminded me of that saying the rain falls mainly on the plane <laughs> but we had a great time and uh, you know we're going to be looking uh, today at our final book uh, of Esther let me just bring up the clicker if I can see what oh yeah there we are and we're going to thinking about there's two books in the Bible named after women they are Ruth and Esther both godly ladies both in the Old Testament both linked with Christ one related to Christ and one a type or a picture of Christ which we're going to see today and uh, probably written by Mordecai who's one of the ten people mentioned in this book some have objected to the book being in the Bible at all why is that? because we don't get the name of the Lord explicitly mentioned you don't find the phrase thus says the Lord you don't find any prayers you don't find the name of the Lord Jesus some have questioned and yet uh, it seems God is hidden from view in the book's text but what we find is in all the details sinful details as well God is working to bring about his purposes as we saw today through Andrew God is very much active even though his name is not visible but actually if you look into the Hebrew of this text you do find there are four verses the name of God in Hebrew has got four letters there are four texts going through the book where you get an acrostic what's an acrostic? well an acrostic for Lord would be L-O-R-D and you get the four letters of God's name in chapter 1 at a hinge point in the story in chapter 5 and in the later chapters where the story takes a turn you find these four letters the name of God hidden there for us to see and the Jews hold this book in tremendous uh, reverence part of their canon they have a feast called Purim which they celebrate even today and you can go on the website and see some of the things that they do it's a celebration time I'm told that in the synagogues where the Jews, they have the story of Esther read out to them. And when in the text the rabbi reads the name Haman, they all boo. (laughs) And in fact, you know those raffles that you get at football matches? Well, when Haman's name comes up, (laughs) you know, so you can't hear that. You know, you just, they just, but they really reverence this book. And of course, it was part of the Old Testament canon that our Lord Jesus accepted and endorsed. It is God's word and it's God's word to us uh, today. And the big message, as Andrew said in his, mess- in his talk today, his great talk today, God is on the throne. God is in control, and he's working even though things appear to be dark and, uh, and so on outside. All things, all things, all things work together for good to those who love God, and are the called according to his purpose. Christian, drink at that well this afternoon and be refreshed. All things in your life and in mine are working together for good.
Isn't that tremendous? Well, we're going to look at uh, three, three headings. I've got, uh, by the way, just to say, that's the size of the empire. It was the biggest empire the world had ever known. And so that's the, the picture there, the, per, the Medo-Persian empire. It went from India to Ethiopia to the Balkans. There's never been an empire as big as that okay since. So that's what we're talking about here. For such a time as this, and I'd like to just hang these thoughts on three sentences. The first one is this, their time. Let's have a look what was like in their time. Our time. Let's have a think about what it's like in our time. And then your time and my time on earth. Let's think about those three things together. So the word, uh, there is Susa right in the middle of the empire. That's where Esther lived with Mordecai. Um, she was, he was her cousin, but he was much older. So she was brought up by him and uh, he, she treated him like her father. We find three times in the text, Esther was obedient to the commandments of Mordecai. Why? She didn't have parents. She was honoring Mordecai as if he was her dad. And three times we read of her obedience in the text. Some of the Jews had gone back to Jerusalem. The Jews were back in the land. But not all of them did, and they were scattered through the empire. They were all God's people, were all over the world. And of course, it's estimated that um, uh, this, uh, it was 44% of the whole population of the world lived in this empire. And the king, in the older Bibles, it's Aesurus. In the newer Bibles, it's Xerxes, same, chaps, same chap. Uh, history calls him Xerxes. He was the guy, he was the guy, I don't know if you remember when the Persians invaded Greece and the Battle of Thermopylae and all of that stuff. He was the fella who got beaten, or rather was involved in, uh, in those sort of battles. So that's, that's the kind of uh, picture we're in. He was on the throne, the most powerful man in the world. And yet what we find is that at a feast, by the way, this was some party, it took six months because people had to travel from all over the empire to get to Susa. This was plush, a big do, as we might say. Wine, food, tents, palatial. The expense was not spared. And at this party, the king has too much to drink. <laughs> the Bible speaks strongly against drink. And certainly it condemns drunkenness as being a sin. The king, it says, was merry with wine. And he calls his queen uh, out, Vashti. She refuses uh, to parade herself in front of the king and his, and his other men who've been uh, drinking too much. And a divorce happens. And uh, as Andrew said today, a new bride is sought for the king. It happens to be Esther. But let's just pause there for a minute. Do you see what's happened there? The most powerful man in the world now has a believer in his family. Amazing, isn't it? How God is working, even though we, we, his name is not mentioned in this book. Through the sin or the un, lack of wisdom of a drunken king, uh, we see God moving his pieces into place. And we read, didn't we, this morning about how Mordecai 
overheard a plot to kill a king. Maybe that's why you couldn't get into the king. It was one of the reasons why you needed to, couldn't come unless you were called. He was afraid for his life. And Mordecai delivers the king, but nothing seems to happen. But that's another piece in the jigsaw that's going to be brought out a little bit later on as the king can't sleep one night and he reads about Mordecai having saved his life and he needs a rewarding and so on. It's all part of God working through a king who has too much to drink, through a divorce that perhaps should never have happened, through two murderers who wanted to kill the king. God is at work through the sin of men and women to bring his plans to pass. And you know, let's think about that. For such a time as this, their time, the big lesson in all of this, God is still on the throne. Let me bring it to you. Are you facing a difficult situation? Something at home, in the family, at work, in a friendship, and it's just not working out. And you're praying about it, and it's a struggle. Maybe you've been disappointed. Something you were hoping for, it just hasn't happened. And you're wondering, where is God in all of this? And the answer from the book of Esther is, God is on the throne. He is working things out for your good and for his glory, even though you can't see it. And he's using not just good things, he's using sinful things, without being responsible for them, to bring about his purposes. Only God can do that. God, although he's not mentioned audibly in this book, visibly as it were, he is hidden. He is very, very much active in the book. And then we saw Haman coming on the scene. Things take a real turn for the worse when Haman comes in as the prime minister. He does command people to bow down and reverence him. And he is incensed that Mordecai won't do it. And Mordecai uh, comes in for it. But not just Mordecai. Haman says, it's not just him. I want to have all of them murdered. Thousands and thousands of people. Babies, children, boys, girls, teenagers, old men, old women. The lot. They're going to go. We're going to steal their goods. We're going to eradicate them from uh, the earth. Now it's interesting if you look in the text. Do you know when he did this? It was the 13th day of Nisan. And Nisan is just a couple of days before the Passover. Jesus was arrested on the 14th and died on the 15th day of Nisan as the Passover lamb. And you know, when those priests decided to get rid of Jesus and plot his murder, it was just very, very similar to that time. May have even been the exact same hour when Jesus was, uh, they plotted against him, Haman plotted against to get rid of all the Jews. It's a satanic attack. Do you know when things go against the people of God like this, it's not just Haman. See behind Haman the malevolence, the spite, the hatred of the enemy. And of course, if he'd succeeded, you wouldn't be sitting there. Why? You wouldn't have a saviour. If all the Jews had been wiped out, the messianic seed, the Messiah, would have been wiped out too. This is a real attack upon the gospel and upon the Lord Jesus Christ coming into the world. Two lessons. Firstly, human nature is very, very 
wicked. Can be. We are fallen creatures. And Haman shows it very graphically. I don't know if you saw the footage that's happening, what's happening in this part of the world now with ISIS and beheadings and so on and so forth. We live in a sinful, fallen world. Let's pray, shall we, that many Muslims, seeing that, not all of them by any means would condone this, would turn to Christ through the wickedness that's being perpetrated out there even as we speak. Let's go to the text, chapter 4. Please follow in your Bibles. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, he rent his clothes, put on sackcloth, and went out and cried. You see, he has brought this problem upon all his people. So it's not just his life that he's concerned about, but he is, he's caused it in a sense. Can you imagine the accusations of his own conscience? You have caused this, Mordecai. And he comes to prayer, but not just him, because the whole nation of the Jews are under a death sentence. Can you imagine? See, if, if it was in your church and on the, uh, the, the news or whatever it was, there was uh, the people of God, the Christian the evangelicals are going to be killed on this day. That's, that's the sort of thing that was, that was on offer. And he comes to the Lord with prayer and with fasting and with mourning and repentance. Uh, that's what the ashes signify. And, you know, there are times in our lives when this is needed. may not be such a time for you now. But, you know, when things get really difficult for you, for your church, for your situation, for your family, maybe for such a time as this, you need to remember these words. Seeking the Lord with all that you are and all that you have. I wonder, have you ever sought the Lord like this? Remember this, uh, this, these verses. Because, of course, God wonderfully answers, as we'll see. God answers prayer. So Mordecai sends a message to Esther. Why does he do that? Well, simply because she's in the harem and she doesn't get to hear the news. She doesn't realize what's happening here. She sees Mordecai sitting in sackcloth and ashes. She sends some, someone to comfort him. What's the problem, Mordecai? And Mordecai sends back a message to Esther. So verses 4 down to 14, there's messages going forward between Esther who's in the seclusion of the harem and uh, Smodekai who's, uh, who's clothed in sackcloth and ashes and crying with a loud and bitter cry. And so eventually Mordecai sends a copy of the death sentence, a copy of the law that's been made and which all the Jews are going to be killed. He sends it through to Esther and he says, you've got to go into the king and make request. Go in and beseech the king. Tell him, plead for the life of yourself and for your people. Go in and tell him. And Esther sends a message back. Do you know what you're asking? If I go into the king unbidden, it's certain death. And he hasn't asked to see me for 30 days. You're asking me to, to not only risk my life... If he, if he doesn't, he will kill me. And then we get the words, which are the most famous verse in the book. Mordecai says, Don't think you will escape with all the Jews. It's a powerful logic. If we're going to be, you're going to be killed uh, too. But actually, 
God will work from another perspective and through another channel and the Jews will be saved because salvation is being promised to the world through the Jew. That will happen. God will act. God will save. But you'll be lost. And with compelling logic he says, and who knows whether you are in the king's household for such a time as this. Who knows whether you're on earth. This is your Role. This is your calling. This is why you have come on earth. And you know, Esther says, okay. She accepts the sacrifice, sorry, the, uh, the challenge, the exhortation of Mordecai, and she's willing to risk her life, put her life on the line for the sake of her people. A couple of things. Sometimes when people speak, you see right into their hearts, don't you? And here, in Mordecai's life, you see someone who knew God's word, knew God's plans, knew what God was doing, and was able to exhort Esther to put her life on the line. Challenge of Esther. She was willing to risk her life for her people. Jesus, and in this Esther is a type, a picture of Christ, Jesus actually gave his life to save his people. And so in the life of Esther, we see a wonderful picture, a type, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's their time. And the take-home lesson, God is still on the throne. Let's just fast forward for a bit and think about our time, shall we? We live in days when it's secular, political correctness, And for the first time, Christians are on trial for their faith in our own country for uh, many, many, many years. Christian thought is being airbrushed from the institutions and the laws are now starting to be changed to come against you and to come against me. It seems to be getting worse. Where is the Lord? He seems to be hidden. And We ask ourselves, will the church in our own country be defeated? But the great lesson, I think, is this. God is still on the throne, even in our own day. And of course, we are the generation that live nearer to Christ's second coming than any other generation. He is coming back. And uh, it's easy to think we are losing, but actually... Uh, we are on the victory side. Do you know, as we were thinking through the committees the other day, I think it was Jason who shared this thought, that um, there's more people on earth than there ever has, than have ever died in the past. Right? We live in the biggest generation of all time. And there's more opportunity today than there ever has been in the past centuries. We live in days when it's getting more difficult, yeah, but we live in days also when it is getting, uh, 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 when there is big opportunity to share the gospel. And UBM is seeking to share and capitalize on some of that opportunity. And one of these days, it will be the last generation. It may be our generation. Maybe some of us will be caught up to meet Christ in the air as he comes. Maybe it will be you, maybe it will be me. And we know, don't we, from the scriptures 
that before he comes, things could get very, very, very bad for the people of God. We read in the Bible of an antichrist. Haman is a picture of the antichrist. He's the antichrist of the Old Testament, a mouth speaking great things. And it may be in the wings waiting to emerge in our day is someone like Haman who's going to organize worldwide persecution against God's people, the church. And we are going to be in difficult days. Do you know, the last hour of the night before the dawn is said to be the darkest. And it may be the last hour of church history before Jesus comes back is going to be a dark one. When it's going to be all up and it looks as if it's all over. And then suddenly from heaven, the Lord comes and it is all over. And there's a glorious finish. And you know, Christ is coming back. Their time, we remember God is still on the throne. Our time, let's remember that Christ is coming soon. Two questions when we think about the second coming. Are you right? Are you right with God? Or is there any sin that you will be ashamed of if Jesus was to come back today? Are you right with him who is coming soon? And the second question, are you ready? Are you ready if he should come today that he will find you busy for him? He'll find you saved, he'll find you sanctified, filled with his spirit and serving him with all that you've got. We are to live in the light of his second coming. And Christ's parables teach us of a returning king and we need to be using what we've got. You say, I haven't got very much. We're to use what we've got. Do the best that we can with the gifts that we've got for the sake of the king who's coming. Ladies and gentlemen, fellas and girls, what are you doing for the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you put your life in his hands and offer it for his service uh, while uh, there's still opportunity and time to go? Their time, and we remember God's still on the throne. Our time, and we remember it could be very close to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's think, shall we, about your time. Let's think about your time left on earth. Last week at the Irish reunion, we were thinking about the words of the founder of WEC, the Worldwide Evangelization Crusade, C.T. Studd. It's a great biography. We should read C.T. Studd. He is a hero of the faith. Playing cricket for England when England first lost the ashes. He gave up on cricket. It was a wise move. And he went out as a missionary to China. And he gave up fame and fortune to go and risk his life in, lose his life for Christ in a Chinese mission field. You know, maybe God is speaking to someone here. It was uh, several years ago when I, uh, when, um, when uh, Daniel and Elizabeth were last here, that someone in this room was called to missionary service, first began to, got in, first began to get interested. Maybe today there's someone, and God is speaking to you about missionary service. Don't shut that door. Be open to serve him. Stud went to China, and he served in India. And then when his health was not great, he was walking down Mount Pleasant in Liverpool, and he saw outside the YMCA, cannibals need missionaries. He stopped, and he looked and eventually he went to Africa to found Heart of African Mission 
as a, as a, a post fit. I think he was well in his 50s by then. Not great health, but he went out there and he founded WEC. And you know, uh, CT Stud is a great example. How will we, how will you spend your life and what's left with it? Esther had choices to make. She could have not listened to Mordecai's exhortation and just stayed for a nice, comfortable life in the harem. Beautiful setting, lovely food, all the best of stuff. But she walked away from that, or was willing to walk away from that, for the sake of the Lord. And you know, you could spend your life here in the UK, and we have got a lot going for us here in the way of comfort and all the rest of it. Or you could put your life on the line, and go and live in a difficult place for Christ. And uh, your time on earth, my time, how will it be spent? When I was looking through uh, CT Stud, I came across the uh, one of uh, a missionary, never heard of her before, Phyllis Jane Ryan, 1939 to 1964, 25 years old. She was killed in the Congo Rebellion, and on her grave, only one life. That was her motto, C.T. Studd's famous poem, which we'll read later. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. How are you going to spend your life? Young folks, how are you going to spend your life? Is it going to be for Jesus? Older ones, what you've got left, can you give it to the Lord? And those in the middle, only one life. And uh, that little book, you know, that we gave out last night is a great book, Sacrifice. It's a great little book. I really do recommend that you read it. And he says this, Simon Gibbo, on the last on the last page. Where are the young men and women who will hold themselves to be something cheap in comparison with God's work? Where are those who will live their lives for Christ's sake? Where are those who will love him and the souls of human beings more than their own reputation. Are you in? That was how he finished his quote. Are you in? He's in. He's cost him a lot to do what he's done, but he's in for Christ. And I urge you to prayerfully consider that book and uh, consider his message. He finishes with a poem by, by A.W. Tozer. In a few minutes, we're just going to go through a couple of verses of, um, of C.T. Studd's famous poem but let's just visit Esther's example she was an example to us by her obedience when we read of Esther she was obedient to the commands of the Lord am I are you obedient she speaks of Christ who was perfectly obedient she was prayerful she was prayerful. When she had to go into the king, she says to Mordecai, you fast and pray for me. I will do the same and will go in to the king. She was a prayerful person. And she went in, she was sacrificial, willing to risk her life for the salvation of her people. Speaking of Christ who did give his life for the salvation of his people. And she went in to the king and she interceded for her people. She prayed for others. Do you know when I was thinking about this passage, I thought, what can I take from this? 
And you know, we belong to, to UBM and it's great, isn't it, to see all that's going on and it's great to see the work powering on. And can I challenge you going in forward into 2014-15? Not only that you'll be back next year serving the Lord, not only that you'll try and bring someone else with you because we do need more people to take the bigger opportunity, not only that you'll be seeking to live for Christ uh, through the year, and you know Ross and Vin and others are involved in Young Life. Can I commend to you the work of Young Life branches? And if you can get to one near you, or if you can think about starting one, please see Ross, please see uh, Vinny. And uh, we'd love to see more branches of Young Life starting through the year, taking an interest in evangelism. Not only those things, but can I urge one more upon all of us? And I promise I will do this. Esther interceded for her people. She prayed for her people because she loved them. And you know, as we go into another year, can we be more prayerful for one another in this movement? I'm sure the devil would love to divide us, to stop us, to, to cause us problems. Let us be those, as a mission, looking forward to the harvest field next year, to be those who love one another and show that love by praying for one another. Can you get to a prayer meeting for UBM? Could you start a prayer meeting for UBM? We have one in Liverpool that's been running for many, many years and it's a great thing to go along to it just once, one night a month. You're welcome to that one. But you know, if more could start and think about the work of UBM in prayer now, I think we would see yet more blessing in, uh, in the days to come. Their time. Worldwide empire. Things going wrong, yet God was on the throne. Our time, secularism worldwide, Christians persecuted now, worldwide, Christ is coming soon. Your time, my time, we've got one life, one shot, one life to spend for Christ. Let's do it well. Are you in? Let's be there. Let's just look at that poem, shall we, by C.T. Studd. He wrote these verses. I couldn't find out when or on what occasion, but they're very powerful. I'm just going to do more verses, but I'm going to share two with you. He wrote this. Two little lines I heard one day, travelling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life to soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life, it will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ 